0: Welcome to another episode of 3Wise DMs, the podcast for three Dungeon Masters we have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. We built
1: this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Enough super Jefferson Airplane was terrible. It's DM Dave, hi, the rock and roll DM. Uh, but Jefferson Airplane was awesome, Jefferson Starship was terrible. But that song leads right into our special, extra special episode today. Finally, we've been wanting to do this episode for probably since the beginning of the podcast, and it just never materialized so it has materialized we're going to be talking all about terrain all about minis and we're going to be talking with the wizard washburn scout washburn who you know from our last episode and some previous episodes uh all about the wonderful and undoubtedly time-consuming experience of terrain and minis building and everything else so scott why don't you uh reintroduce yourself to our listeners
2: well, hi, I'm Scott, and i uh, been a D&D player from way, way back, although there was a, a big chunk in the middle, I guess probably from, like, first edition to fourth edition that I just totally missed, but... Uh, <laughs> but with that, uh, Real quick, with that,
1: were you playing at all during those years of, like, the AD&D all the way
2: up through at all? No, not really. Um you know i uh, started playing d and d in in college uh with, well may as well get right into the the the, the gist of this thing uh, i was uh, you know I went to penn state university i started there in the fall of nineteen seventy three god help me Woo! and um i'd been a a war gamer uh Honestly, since I was in elementary school, I, I just it was something that always interested me. My older brothers had uh, copies of the old Avalon Hill, uh, you know, board games like Gettysburg and Tactics 2 and stuff like that. And and uh, you know, I saw them playing with them, and I just had had to get involved. And from there, quickly got involved in miniatures as well. So um, even before arriving at Penn State, I was was an avid war gamer. When I got to Penn State, I managed to find some other people that were also into that, and we we formed an official club, uh, you know, Penn State Wargaming Club, which I I think actually still exists. Um, And, you know, we were doing some board games, but mostly miniatures gaming, um, which – you know, but historical. I mean, we were we were doing Napoleonic's and uh, ancients and just you know World War II type stuff, all all of that. But then, in, in I'm pretty sure it was the spring semester of 1975, uh, one of the guys showed up and he had this little white box in his hand and um said hey guys you got to try this and it was you know the, the very first white box edition of dungeons and dragons and it, it quickly took the club by storm i mean we still play the other games but but everybody was got involved in the dungeons and dragons and uh and honestly so we- it it, uh, it actually started pulling in kids from the local junior high and high school, they just started showing up at our at our meetings. Uh and
1: it was it really was like it caught wildfire from that. Like it was this little niche thing you had with the wargaming. and then when O D and D, for all of our listeners, that's O D D. That's before all of this the basic and everything. Uh that pulled all of the it just started to to grow just because D and D. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, and, and so you know the size of the club expanded, and and actually somewhat gratifyingly, uh, eventually quite a number of these these young D and D players also became regular war gamers. We we corrupted them into uh, to playing you know regular miniatures games, but um, the thing was uh, with the D and D, you know we were all already miniatures gamers, and so. There was never any question about whether we were going to use miniatures with Dungeons and Dragons. Of course we were. I mean, yeah. there was just, just no, no. I don't. I don't recall anyone ever saying, "Well, d- gee, do we have to use miniatures, or should we use miniatures? No. I mean, just let's get out some minis. Come on, you, you got you've got some medieval stuff that that'll do for adventurers and and uh, and of course the the support industry stayed right in stride, and a lot of the the traditional miniatures manufacturers, the ones who had been producing historical miniatures for, you know, a while, uh, they quickly saw, you know, the opportunity. And so suddenly, you know, companies that had been producing, you know, Napoleonic figures were were suddenly producing fantasy miniatures. And uh, so, you know, the wizards and elves and dragons and and orcs and stuff figures were quickly became available and and we talk in the old like pewter um lead yeah uh, lead lead pewter i mean that uh initially they were just a lead a lead tin alloy and then uh there was a a scare that some some states were going to start banning lead miniatures because you know it is toxic uh, and, and and the industry shifted over to to more more of the pewter. Um, but anyway, so we were you know immediately using you know minis with, with Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, and we actually started uh, merging the Dungeons and Dragons with some of our historical gaming. We you know campaigns got to the point where large battles uh, you know became part of it, and so we just pulled out our you know, medieval or ancient minis and made some homebrew rules to to account for magic. And we're having these massive battles on the tabletop uh, as part of our campaigns. I will say the uh, if you guys go back, you can look at the image, too,
1: because on that white box, uh, it literally says which he has. I've actually seen it. It's a uh, it's like a Yeah, it really is. Uh, he's probably going to pull it up and show it on the camera. But none of you will see it, but know that it exists. There it is. Oh,
3: there it is. It
1: says, I mean, the original one, the three-volume set from Tactical Studies Rules, which was became TSR, um, says rules for fantastic medieval war games, campaigns, playable with paper and pencil and miniature figures. So right from the very get-go, Arneson and Gygax, it, the, the entire thing was meant to be that. So so that kind of flies right into what you're talking about, Scott. You kind yeah, of, well, a, a,
2: as I understand it um – Gygax and, and Arneson, they they had originally created a set of rules for miniatures gaming called Chainmail. Yeah. And, and that mm-hmm. and that was really the beginnings of Dungeons and Dragons. They took those rules and, and uh, expanded them and modified them. So, somewhere I have got a copy of Chainmail. I don't know exactly where <laughs> it think is. Really? I bet, uh, <laughs> I bet you do. That's awesome. But uh, so anyway, as I say, you know, minis were a part of it right from the start, and 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 the industry kept pace, and, and uh, you know, from initially you had some pretty crude-looking uh, miniatures, uh, but then, uh, you know, some of the, the, the legendary uh, companies came, came into the fray, uh, Ral Partha and Grenadier miniatures, they, uh, hmm. not only did they come up with, with wide ranges of, of d and type miniatures, but they just upped the quality of the sculpting beyond anything that uh, historical miniatures had, had seen to that point. Uh, the, the detail, you know, on the on the minis just became amazingly good, and it, and it has you know g- gone a pace from there. Of course, these days the sculpting's all done with computers, or mostly done, I should say. There's still a few hand sculptors out there, but. Uh, mm. But so the detail has has gotten, you know, better and better. And and with the widening market, it it became uh, economically feasible to start producing them in like injection molded plastic and so forth, which had never been possible uh, earlier because there just wasn't enough demand for uh, for the wargaming figures because it wasn't that big of a hobby but but you know the the, the wargaming figures were all uh cast metal and because you couldn't do them in plastic because you know the cost of the molds is just phenomenal or it was um but now you know there, there's such a big market for the D stuff that uh, you know plastic figures are more common than metal well, how people are getting 3d printers themselves and they'll
1: share their um their uh software to to program whatever you want to put in there. You know? Yeah,
2: that's and that's the next generation uh, that, that uh, people are doing uh, 3D modeling for for miniatures and just selling the files so that people can uh, can print them out themselves and uh, or, or go to a service that'll print for them. And Tony, you've seen some of
1: these because Scott has
2: brought them out uh, to
1: stand in for uh, certain figures that we'll have. So some of like the old knights and stuff are like your original. Probably grenadier ones, things like that. I remember the one wizard he has is like a banana. He painted on him or something like that. I can't remember exactly. but
3: We're very grateful to other people like you around, Scott, because you say, who wouldn't want to use terrain or figs? Have you seen my terrain? I mean, and I was painting last night. That is nothing to brag about. No <laughs> one wants me to paint a fig. <laughs>
1: Yeah, It just makes me think of my old... Uh, we've talked about it on the on the cast before, the Marvel Super Heroes game from TSR. Uh, I had actually, when I was a kid, had the box of minis they had released for it. It was like a set of 12, the initial one, Captain America, Spider-Man. And they were those old lead pewter figurines that were like oh, nice. half-melted looking because of the meddling. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so it mm-hmm. makes me wonder. Anyway, keep going, Scott. Take us through.
2: But... Uh... Well, then, then now talking about the, the terrain to go with with the minis. Now, that that's sort of interesting because that didn't really develop nearly as rapidly as, as the minis did um, at our, at our wargaming club at Penn State. Of course, we use terrain with our historical battles, but, you know, we're college students. We don't have a lot of money, uh, and any money we have, we want to spend on figures rather than... Uh, and terrain we don't we don't have a places to store it so the terrain initially was was pretty pretty primitive I mean you know if, if we wanted hills and stuff we would just get a green cloth or like an, an old bed sheet that was dyed green and, and throw it over top of some books or something to make it make hills mm. and um, you know some fairly uh, crude you know you get trees for for like model railroad sets and so forth and uh so you know the terrain wasn't that complex, and honestly, for for the D and D, at least initially, um, I mean the the white box D and D was was you know Dungeons and Dragons, and and the emphasis was on, on the dungeons. I mean that's where the the adventures took place was generally in dungeons. Um, they, they did have rules for. Uh, you know, outdoor encounters. But if if you actually look at the, at the, like the the, uh, yes. the encounter tables for that, uh, you know, the, the, it, was, it quickly became understood that you didn't go out in the wilderness until you're up like fifth or sixth level because it was just too damn dangerous. I mean, the you could literally run into anything outside, up up to including dragons. Whereas with the uh, the, the the dungeon setup, you know, the dungeons were uh you know specifically designed in levels i mean you come went into the dungeon on the first level and you were only going to meet you know things like kobolds and goblins there and it was relatively safe for a low level adventure but if you went down a level in the dungeon it or you know one or more levels. Each level you went down, the monsters got tougher and tougher. And you know, so, I mean, that explains the old dwarven ability to de- you know detect sloping floors, because because dungeon masters would put in a slope and and, and send the the adventurers down to the second level where the monsters were, were nastier without them realizing it. And so
1: that's dirty pool.
3: Um,
2: yeah, it,
1: it is absolutely a thing because they wouldn't even know they were on the second or third Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: And so that's that's why the dwarves were able to detect sloping floors so to prevent you from falling into that sort of thing. Um, exactly. but, but my point is, though, that, uh, you know, initially most of the gaming took place, you know, in a dungeon which you could, uh, you know, simulate with, you know, pieces of cardboard with, you know, a grid on it and to make rooms and, and hallways. And so that that was really all the terrain there really was to begin with and all you needed you know it's only sort of later when uh you know the game ex- scope of the game expanded that, that you start finding you know commercially made terrain pieces and and uh, you know dungeon walls and stuff to make your dungeons look uh look cooler but that that uh sort of lagged behind really the uh, the, the, the miniatures part of it and by the time uh you know that started becoming more common. On to be honest with you, I sort of not was not playing the game anymore after I got out of college. Uh I didn't have a handy gaming group to uh to play with, and it was before the internet, of course, so you couldn't just go find one. And 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 honestly, I, I didn't play much D and D for a long time after that, and 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 really only started it again when I, I ran into you fellas and um, your group. Yeah.
1: Tony, it makes me think
2: uh, when Scott was saying you didn't go
1: out in the wilderness until you were fifth level or something. And I remember, too, if you go back to those old original rules, because this is like this is fun, it's like an archaeological dig. But you actually had to get a companion game to do exploration. It was like wilderness survival or game or something. It was like one of those maybe Avalon Hill or somebody put it out, but they literally said, go buy this other game if you want to do it. But Tony,
2: yeah, you, you didn't have to do that. I don't, you know, I, I recall that when, and, and the wilderness survival game, but we hardly really ever made much use of it. I mean, once, once we got the hang of it, we realized how we could run, you know, wilderness adventures with, you know, just there, there actually with that, there was quite a bit of theater of the mind as far as the travel involved. Of course, when, mm. Just, you know, describing where you're going, what you're seeing up until the point there was an encounter. And then we would, you know, pull out so, something to, to put the figures on and, and get, you know, some sort of appropriate terrain. So, I got I to gotta
3: like, tell you, it's, it's pretty funny that they say you don't want to leave uh, the dungeon because it's too dangerous outside.
2: <laughs> well, of course, you know, the, the, the typical campaign was set up is that you you were in a town or a village of some sort and there was a nearby dungeon and so you'd go into the dungeon and you'd you know fight monsters and get treasure until you had used up all your spells and were beat up then you'd go back to town and do your long rest there although they didn't really call it a long rest they just said you know you sleep the night and uh, Mm -hmm. and then you'd go back in again so you'd have a, a, a safe base of operations in this town but the uh, but you know the dungeon uh, was where you could find treasure, where you could kill monsters and get your experience. And as I said, it was set up in a, in a way that was you know emotionally comfortable. You know if you you know, if you stayed on the first level, you weren't going to run into anything too nasty. And and then and when you felt you were ready, you'd go down to the second level and clean that out. And then and, and uh, you know and so on as you went up in level, you, you could go down in levels
3: like a nice unwritten agreement that the really tough monsters wouldn't walk up the stairs.
2: Yeah. Well, of course it depends on how nasty the dungeon master was. All um,
3: you know, oh, those so. level modules were extremely dangerous as I recall and unforgiving. You had no oh, yeah. first aid skills. You had six hit points. Good luck.
2: Well, you know, the modules, I mean, that's another whole, whole issue The the modules were really just coming into, into use about the time that I stopped playing and, you know, I graduated. So honestly, um, I'd never played in, in, in a module until um, just right now, actually, play, yeah, playing in is, yours, Dave. This is uh, the first
1: <laughs> So I hope I do it justice. Uh, so, Tony, it made me think, though, about mm-hmm. the uh, outsides. How many times you've said in the old, you know, second edition, first edition, the random encounter table was just oh, I love murderous. Those. You'd have, like, you'd run into four fire giants for no apparent goddamn yeah. reason. They were in the
3: woods. They just... They were they were shopping, they were getting their supplies for the Super Bowl, you know, and they just came across these adventures with, or at a cook fire. And they're like, we're to murder these guys. No dialogue. They're like chaotic evil. It's on.
1: Yeah. So, Scott, that kind of leads right up into uh, where we are and kind of why how we came about uh, understanding your your, as I say, wizardry with it. And uh, please, everybody, um, I'm going to be putting up a couple. Uh, you've seen some of the things, but I'm going to kind of revisit a companion piece on our socials uh some of the picks coming up uh of the different terrain pieces and and what we have used in the game since scott's been involved so you can go check that out and some of the some of the minis we've been using things of that nature but yeah scott so we came in and we started the woodstock game was the first thing we did right out of the authors group very specifically i remember thorn saying he did not want to do a lot of minis and terrain because as we talked about on the cast tony you and he had both done a lot of gaming in 4e in fourth edition Mm -hmm. which was very tactically heavy very mini heavy very terrain heavy because it was it was all calculated you can see it in 5e with the five foot squares and how the Mm -hmm. battle map is drawn out squeezing flanking yeah, so in essence, like, you were kind of like, okay, we did that. Like, like, can we just open up the imagination, have some paper and die around the, the table and go? Which I was completely fine with, but then, little by little, Scott started to bring in...
2: Yeah, uh, I came in and ruined it, right? You, you know,
1: <laughs> Hard, it, hardly. It started out, it was so It was so amazing, because it starts out with, Scott brings in, so you guys could get Dungeon Tiles reincarnated now, but he had, like, OG Dungeon Tiles, which are just literally, like, different shapes that look like like crack stone floor and Thorne would be explaining where we were as we delved into you know what in essence is a dungeon and scott would just start laying it out and then we would put out little you know we would have the vegetables and the cheese tray and we'd start putting that out as monsters or as figures or whatever it was and little by little it just grew from there so i know tony you weren't in those early games there but scott like I mean, I kind of gave the overview, but give me like your thoughts on that in terms of what you were what you were hoping for, what you liked about it, the benefits of terrain, as well as some of the drawbacks of it too, and minis and things of that nature.
2: You know, uh, when when I first got pulled into the Woodstock uh, campaign with you guys, um, you know, I wasn't entirely sure what <laughs> to expect, and I'd only met all of you. Relatively short period of time before through the writers group, and I didn't really know what level of experience you guys had with the game. If I had, I think I would have been much more intimidated and much more hesitant about bringing stuff in because... Um, you know, I, I was just sort of coming from the point of view, oh, well, these poor fellows, they don't know anything about about minis. They don't know anything about terrain. I, uh, you know, I've got I've got to enlighten the uh, the heathen here. Um, <laughs> I'm and, and so, you know, I started bringing this, bringing my stuff and, and uh, you know, I painted minis for each of the, the player characters that was appropriate to them. And. Uh, I think that's what did it, to tell you the
1: truth. I think that was the nail in the coffin, because at mm. that point, it's like, oh, oh, it's on, you know, because now everybody was into it.
2: <laughs> well, Yeah. But as I say, you know, if, if I had known how experienced Thorin was as a DM and the fact and known that he had already gone through the whole miniatures phase, I, I, I would not have been so bold and just sort of shown up with this stuff. I would have asked his permission. And if, if he might have said yes. He might have said no. Uh, and, and, and that would have, you know, could have gone an entirely different way. But once I started, you know, once I made the custom minis for each of the players and they were so happy with them, uh, and then, you know, Torrent Thorne just sort of, I think threw in the towel and said, well, this is, well, I think one,
1: one thing, and I think this was good. This goes back to our, our last episode with the Curse of wrap up. And we were talking about the monster Wrangler. We were talking about DM delegation, And what was great, Scott, is you came in because you love doing this. And this is why this is something, and I want to kind of delve into it deeper, some of the drawbacks or some of the the, the obstacles to things like minis and terrain for for a lot of players out there, a lot of DMs, is you came in, took the initiative, started putting together minis, started putting together the terrain. You were contacting and saying, hey, what's our next a uh, big thing and i and building these things out which allowed him to have this really cool terrain and minis in the game without having to be like okay let me get my suitcase full of the stuff as well as prep the adventure
2: so well yeah um i mean Thorin, i think one, once he saw which way thing, uh, the wind was blowing decided to you know go with the flow and and he you know started contacting me tw- between sessions and saying hey uh, can you bring this and this and this for the next session and and then uh, and then ultimately started saying gee can you can you build a huge pyramid just slap one together please and and and, and an underground uh, temple in a grotto can you do this and and uh, you know i just took that as a challenge cuz uh, you know i'd uh, always love to do the modeling sort of work i i mean to step back a little bit uh, you know in the period of time when I wasn't playing Dungeons and dragons of course I was still playing miniature war games and uh, and I had started building more realistic more elaborate terrain pieces to go with, with the, the wargaming and uh, as it happened the uh, the trend in wargaming was was moving a little bit away from the traditional battles where you're, you know, you're recreating Waterloo or Gettysburg or something where you've got, a, you know, a, thousands of figures on the field representing tens of thousands of, of real men uh, into more, what we call, you know, skirmish level gaming where, you know, one figure represents one actual person and you're fighting, you know, in a little town or uh, in, in, you know, something like that. And, uh, and so the terrain that you needed shifted from just, You know, big hills and streams and and something to represent a a village that only takes up a little bit of room on the table into more detailed and elaborate uh, bits of terrain where you can actually move figures around inside of a, you know, a French village during World War Two or whatever. And I I started, uh, you know, or or... You know, in, in the games workshop, their Warhammer 40,000 uh, mm. game, which was very popular, still is. And, and you, you know, you needed, you know, futuristic ruined cities that you could fight in. And I started, you know, building and selling terrain like that, uh, you know, custom made terrain pieces. And uh, so, plus, uh, you know, my, my real job, real life job, I was a, an architectural designer and uh, I didn't build a lot of models. Uh, But I did build build some. So, you know, I had the whole architectural modeling thing down um, and and ultimately, you know, that led me into this little side business I have is called Paper Terrain, which, uh, you know, sell model buildings principally for for you know traditional wargaming but they can certainly be used for other things as well and um, and you just you know you, the stuff is printed out and you you cut it out and fold it and glue it together and it's it's a much uh, cheaper uh, uh, alternative to some of the the, the for, commercially available terrain that's you know cast in resin or, or something like that which is uh can be really quite expensive but but anyway so you know i i had that experience behind me and when you know thorin started asking about you know gee can you build a overgrown temple uh pyramid temple in the jungle or an underground uh grotto temple or, or or you asked me to do a you know uh amber temple from the curse of stride thing uh no not just amber temple
1: uh that was the least of what you did you you built mount gacus is what you did and then selenka pass and the bridge and all of that stuff yeah no that was uh again take a look guys on a, on some of the, the some of the 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 pictures that we're gonna post up of, of what these things look like give us a sense of when you, you started so i mean obviously minis most D players out there have that when you're talking about terrain that's not purchased that's not dwarven forge or some of these other companies um when you're building that stuff out like the ziggurat that you built for the woodstock game mount gacus for the curse of Straw game stuff like that like what are the types of materials that a lot of times you're using for that if somebody like something that's that's accessible for people if they wanted to start looking into this and not spending, you know, thousands on Dwarven floors or something.
2: Yeah, well, uh, with the Curse of Strahd thing, I, I puzzled for a while over how how I was going to build that. Now, the, the material of choice of most of your uh, terrain builders um, is the uh, high-density uh, insulation foam board. Uh, you can get it at, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, and it comes in... Different thicknesses from one inch up to two inch, two inches, um, and it's uh, you know it's 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 not styrofoam. I mean that's what a lot of people call it. I mean the styrofoam is not very high density. It tends to crumble. It's it's not the best for modeling. But the the Dow Corning uh, insulation board that you use in, to insulate houses, uh, it's you know it's rigid. It it's pretty solid, um, and you need to really to cut it, you really need a hot wire cutter. There are they're you know available. You can buy them commercially, and all from really cheap to really expensive, depending on what kind of, of uh, features you want. But uh, you know that's that's the material of choice because because you can literally sculpt it um, like you would a you know piece of marble if you were a sculptor and get almost any shape you want. And it's it's uh, strong enough to you know stand the weight of the minis, and uh, you can paint it and. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff, although in recent years, it's not nearly as cheap as it used to be. I, when I, as I say, when I was starting work on, on the uh, Curse of Strahd Mountains and all that, that was what I was planning on doing until I went down to Lowe's and looked at what the price of the foam board was these days. <laughs> it's gone up a lot since the last time I bought any. And I realized, oh, my God, I'm going to spend a fortune on this. So I so I decided, no, I've got to work on something else. And, uh, and you know, this is something that really anybody can, can do. I just got cardboard boxes, uh, courtesy of the U.S. Postal Service, um, and just build up, you know, the basic shape. And then online I found some... Uh, paper mache material that, you know, just came in rolls. You soak it in water and then slap it onto the boxes. Uh, Actually, I used some crumpled up newspaper to give it a more irregular shape and then just put the paper mache pieces on and uh, waited until it hardened and then I could paint it right from there. So it was, you know, much more economical uh, and you know, I, I don't know if they still have art class in, in school anymore and you do paper mache stuff in it. But, you know, we, we did when I was a kid. So it's 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 pretty basic uh, techniques. Um, I did. I did use the, you know, the insulation board for the uh, the first pyramid temple and in, in the Woodstock Wanderers game because uh, that wasn't such a big thing. I didn't need that much. And then. Uh, and for a good bit of the underground grotto temple, the, the walls, that was, again, that was the insulation board. Um, but, you know, over the years, I've learned to make use of just anything that, that might possibly work. So, you know, cardboard boxes and shipping containers and uh, empty Pringles cans or whatever, whatever, you know. Nice. Uh, has got the right shape
3: so if you had if you were someone new at this right they're not going to start with mount Gakkas and the amber temple obviously let's see uh <laughs> it's very ambitious but let, let, let's aim a little lower so say you're trying to do something a little bit more involved for a dungeon but more so than dungeon tiles uh what would you how would you recommend they start off and what pitfalls like what would you say do not try to attempt this
2: uh so you're saying like how to how to build like the walls in a dungeon uh
3: you said they're trying to get to the next step the second. dungeon tiles are a fantastic product, but I want to go a little farther, and oh, I don't have experience. with this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, just just to put you know vertical walls along you know alongside your dungeon tiles. I mean, that seems to be. I remember that was like the the next step up historically speaking. You know, initially they you know you, you could buy these sets of dungeon tiles, which are just flat pieces of cardboard with things printed on them for floors and rooms and so forth and then and then I, you started seeing these uh, you know wall pieces that you could use to you know give re- more three dimensions to your your dungeon and and you can you know those those types of things are still available i mean they're, they're you know usually cast resin or something like that which can be a bit pricey um you know but but for, if it's something you just want to do uh, yourself, you know, cardboard, or, or again, the uh, just the half-inch foam board, uh, you, you know, you get a 4 by 8 sheet of that at at, uh, at Lowe's or Home Depot uh, for 10 or $15, and, and it's thin enough you can cut it with a craft knife. You don't have to use this fancy hot wire cutter, and, you know, one 4 by 8 sheet's going to give you all the, all the stuff you're ever going to need, um, you know, so, and then you know just get some again go to you know michael's craft store and buy some gray you know gray uh acrylic paint and a bottle and paint it and there you go you got your your walls and stuff so it uh you know it it can be as complicated or as simple as as you want to do it it's just a matter you know it is going to take some time you you gotta commit the time to it you're you're building terrain you're not uh designing your encounters or, or painting figures so it uh
3: and I think that's really a tough issue for a lot of DMs because I've always said when I was making my crude attempts at maps or terrain, it was detracting from the time I wanted to spend on character development, the story, encounter building, etc. So the fact that uh, Dave or Thorne had somebody who was able to say, hey, I'll put together your terrain for this. That's why that it was such an incredible blessing.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I like doing it. I mean, it's something that I've, done for years and years and years and, and i enjoy building it i enjoy you know whipping it out and putting it on the table and see see the amazed expressions on all the players around the table uh you know i mean that uh, I, I get a rush out of that so but if you if you're not like that if you, if you look at it as a chore then you know maybe it's a chore you really don't need um and, and of course, you know when I was doing it for for Thorn and, and 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 then for Dave, uh, you know I was a player, not not the DM. Uh, so, you know I, I didn't have to worry about creating an encounter. All I was doing was uh, producing the the model and uh, not trying to not trying to do both, which uh, I definitely could see would be a, a a real burden.
3: So, do we want to talk about the nitty gritty of? Your construction involving that Last Curse of Strahd game. I mean, there's pictures out there. I mean, what all did you make? You we said we did the temple, the pass. You made custom figs for each of these encounters. How long well, did all I that mean, take?
2: I mean, obviously everything you saw there on the table, I made. You know, I had to plan it out. I mean, I, you know, I looked at, at what was needed. He wanted wanted the 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 gateway at the pass. And then a bridge leading over to an, another mountain that led to the Amber Temple. So I said, all right, well, I'll definitely have got to build this in separate pieces. Just, uh, you know, it's much more manageable that way. It'll be small enough. I can actually get it out of my basement once it's done. Um, and uh, although I must admit it was a squeeze, I <laughs> planned out the two big hunks of mountain, um, I, The uh, the The gateway leading from through the pass. uh, Honestly, I I swiped that from. the uh, the keep that I built for the Woodstock Wanderers that we never got to use, and uh, and then I had to build you know the bridge connecting the two pieces. I had to build the the four towers that were guarding the bridge, uh, and I had to build the the, the Amber Temple itself. Um, I mean, but but really the, the the hard work was building the two mountains. I mean, because honestly I hadn't done anything really right. like you. that in a long time, and and nothing that big or mountainous, really. Um, and that sounds like a very basic, but
3: really, for someone who's in construction, don't buy or build anything. You can't get out of your room or just take <laughs> it to where you're going.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that, that, absolutely. I mean, that, that's something... Well, not not and not just like getting it out of the room or, um, or, or or getting it through a door. But, you know, keep, keep in mind that, gee, um, unless you're planning on just throwing this away when it's done, you're gonna have to store this somewhere, you know, maybe make it, you know, modular to the point that, you know, it can fit in, you know, plastic storage boxes, um, uh, otherwise, you know, you get additional problems there. Uh, over the years, with some of my other stuff, you know, you you, you when you're building terrain, you it's often wise to start out with a box and and then build the terrain so it'll fit into that box when when you're done.
3: So how long did that take, start to finish? Three different encounters plus the BBEG, all that terrain, ballpark.
2: Well, it went it went a lot faster than I had uh, thought it would. Actually, I, mean, I believe um, Dave approached me late last August, I think it was, and he was talking about a game in in November. So I was thinking, all right, I got September, October, and part of I got, you know I got like two and a half months to do this. So I got started on it in early September. And, I'll, you know, I'll let everyone know I am retired. So, you know, I, I got a lot more time. <laughs> Changed uh, I didn't have to fit this around a real job. Um, and, you know, it was it went pretty quickly, actually. Um, and, and then which was good, because then like midway through September, Dave contact me again and say, could you possibly have this ready like in October sometime? You know, I Swallowed a few times and said, "Well, yeah, I guess I could." Um, and, uh, and and so we managed to do that, but uh, it, w- it was a little bit of a rush. But but yeah, I mean, I, I was working. You know, there's probably around 200 hours of work in that
0: thing. Woo.
2: I would say. And I mean, and when you see it, it, it makes makes oh, sense it's breathtaking. That's where some of, like, so... We, we, Although that, that includes the uh, painting, the, the, the minis for the, the minis. bad guys, too, though. Yeah. And the characters.
1: Yeah. And the players, yeah.
3: Yeah, that's a cast. You did,
1: you right did the entire thing. You kind of went all campaign into like, two sessions. Um. So just, like, as we're kind of getting close here, like, obviously, I'm a huge fan of... We've talked about battle maps of terrain, of mini, like of having things concrete on the table. One thing I like playing with little toys, so like there is that. Secondly, as we've talked about, Tony, on on multiple uh, occasions, the difference between theory of the mind and and maps and minis and stuff. There is something to be said about having it in front of you and understanding. I remember Beth in, in our last episode was talking about being able to remember where everything was without the DM having to constantly. Every turn, say, okay, this is where everyone is. What are you doing? This is where everyone is. What
2: are you doing? Well, you you know, uh, on on that topic, that was one of the things that prompted me to bring out the minis in the first place of the Woodstock Wanderers because after the first session, I could see we had a couple of of brand new people to this, and I and I could just sort of tell they were having a little bit of trouble visualizing what was going on and I thought well gee you know minis could certainly help that so and it is not uh that is not uncommon i don't think that
1: that that level of spatial awareness on top of trying to play the game uh i find actually can be uh can be difficult um so i love all of the maps and minis and all that stuff and i love having the terrain and with the new Dragonlance campaign scott has had the opportunity now to we've had very specific encounters uh, that have happened um, for people who are playing it at all. It's the Scales of War Encounter and then the Battle of High Hill um, that had very specific set pieces. And Scott had said, hey, do you do you want me to put something together? Because we're also playing with the the board game, the Warriors of crin Companion. So we have already a sense of like this, this three-dimensional kind of battle set that we're playing with. And he said, do you want me to put anything together? So I sent him a map. And he was able to, in essence, with your your current inventory, put something together for the most part, for most of this stuff outside of the draconians that you had to start uh, modding together for the mini section of it. But in terms of terrain with a map, you said, well, I have a cart and I have a tree and I have, you know, roadways and things of that nature. So from your existing inventory, you were able to put this together, which I'm, I'm thinking helped to decrease in some of the time investment here. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, so far the the initial uh, encounters that, that that we needed to put together were, you know, pretty straightforward. The first first one was just a road and a cart and some trees, which uh, and plus the minis, which I you know all I had, so we just put that out. The battle of High Hill was a little a little more elaborate. I mean, I I had to build the hill and and the stone walls um, for that. Um, Oh, those weren't the stone wall was not existing originally
1: from anything.
2: No, no, uh, I, just, I just made those. Um, it, that was actually fairly simple. I uh went to the local pet store and, and, and to their aquarium section and found that they have all bag you know, large bags of all sizes and shapes of, of stones to put in the bottom of your aquarium. And I just found one that looked good, and then I had some uh. Two part epoxy putty, which you know, you just mix it together and knead it like clay. And I just, you know, put that out and stuck the stones into it and had two stone walls.
3: That was clever. It looked really good.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and so you, you just, you know, use what you can find. Um, you know, the, 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 the upcoming. Scenario for your next the next session is, is, is was a bit more involved um, with uh, uh, fighting in, in in this town of uh, Vogler and uh, down at the the dockyard and so forth and and uh, so this this was a bit more elaborate but fortunately I was able to use my paper terrain buildings for the for the the buildings in the town uh, I, I had to. Put them, assemble them, because I didn't have any ready-made ones of, the, of that scale. But uh. yeah, but
1: it was you were able to kind of. Uh, I I always use the term kit bash. I know that's not what it is, but you you can kind of uh, hot rod up uh, your terrain from some existing pieces because you built so much over the time. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. ask too. I mean, I know Scott, you you obviously are biased to it because you love doing this and you do it right. So, um, but Tony, like uh, with especially with the the, the Dragonlance campaign, because this is the first time that you've kind of uh, been from the beginning when Scott started to pull out the terrain, right? Because the Curse of Strahd thing was at the very end. Um, for me, I feel like these very specific encounters, it's a big battle, it's something like that. It's not your just random encounter somewhere. I feel it adds a whole nother level to the game. What are your thoughts on that in terms of a uh, player, as another DM, that type of thing? Like, for what when and where people would best utilize this. So of course, big battles, it, it can be very valuable. And for those reasons
3: of spatial awareness. So how many times as a DM, you throw a fireball at the party and you, players are like, I'm not there. You, you don't get me with that. Well, your figs right there on the map. Yes, I do. You see yeah. it's landing there. It's going out in this direction. Yeah. To, roll me a deck series, save please. Uh, For those things, it's super helpful, and you can come out, give a brief but to the point description, three lines, here's what you got, versus trying to really, like, paint a verbal picture, and then still, you know, they get the idea of the environment they're in, but they're not really sure where everything is in relation to them on the battle map. Can I reach them in one round? Do I have to throw a javelin? Am I using a longbow? What are my options? But that's the DM telling you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, Scott, I mean, I, I would think you would kind of agree on that front just because, again, you you like terrain minis, you build it, you come from a wargaming background. Um, so in terms of uh, when to pull those things out, at what points do you – if, like, you're running a game, let's say, Scott – When would you, would you pull out terrain minis, things like that for every encounter or, or would you go back and forth between theater of the mind for some smaller things, that type of thing, or would you always want to put something out?
2: Well, you know, I, I think, uh, you have to be adaptable. Um, if it's a really simple encounter where, you know, there's not a lot of tactical options, then, then maybe you don't need the minis, um, or the terrain. Uh, the more complicated it gets, uh, I think the more valuable it becomes. Uh, you know, coming from the wargaming background, of course, it's, it's you know essential. You you have got to know the physical relationship between the units of troops on either side because you know that that uh, the tactics are, are all dependent upon whether you can hit them in the flank or you know whatever. So, uh, but but yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think. The minis are absolutely and the trainer are absolutely essential for every encounter. Uh, it should be, you know, when you think it's appropriate, when it's uh, going to help, and and when it's going to be fun. Don't 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 make it a chore. Yeah, that's
1: good advice. Uh, the the fun thing is is the best because I will say it. I keep I keep uh, texting Scott back when he sends me these things because I'm like I feel like we're spoiling ourselves with this campaign because we've had so much stuff happening. Uh, with uh, with the Dragonlance, but I think it's really added to it overall. So um, we're getting close to that time. So uh, Scott, I want to thank you very much for um, for coming on and talking about this stuff. Uh, if people wanted to reach Paper Terrain or find it, uh, is there a website, anything like that? That
2: uh yeah well is uh, i i uh, own this and run I'm sole proprietor and sole employee of a company called paper terrain as i said before you can uh buy uh it's, it's primarily buildings uh you know houses and uh things like that although i've got a few other Odds and ends that, that fit in there too, and and it's primarily uh, focused on wargaming, uh, but you can certainly use some of the buildings for uh, for D and D. And I've got all kinds of different time periods. I mean, I've got European style buildings and Russian style buildings, and you know Italian style buildings, and and uh, you know grass huts for tropical and 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 stuff like wow. that. Um, uh, if anyone that's interested, it's just www paper terrain dot ncom and the website there i think it's uh organized pretty well it, it just uh, sort of by period if you need european buildings click on the european tab and it'll show you all the products and uh, they're available in various different scales i mean uh, you know the scales is sort of the the bane of, the, of wargaming, because there are so many different scales. Uh, the D and D stuff um, uses primarily what what would be known as as 25 or 28 millimeter scale. Although th- we have what uh, known in the hobby as scale creep, uh, the, the things that are supposed to be 25 millimeter might be like 30 mil- <laughs> 30 millimeter. That being the the dimension from the from the foot to the head of a of a human-sized figure, um, but uh, but in wargaming there are just all these different scales. I mean, there's two millimeter scale, there's three millimeter, there's six millimeter, there's ten, there's twelve, there's fifteen, there's eighteen, there's twenty, there's 25, twenty-five, oh. twenty-eight, thirty, and and they're getting up even to 50, forty millimeter scale. Um, and whole ranges of figures for all of those, and uh, you know, j- just be thankful that you're in Dungeons and Dragons and you can just get along with one scale because it uh, it can be a real mess. But uh, the paper terrain stuff is, is available in a number of different scales, but the you know, the one you'd probably want for Dungeons and Dragons type work would be the 25 millimeter scale, and uh, and, you know, it comes uh, pre-printed in color on cardstock with instructions. You uh, cut it out, fold it, and glue it together, and you have a, a house or a bridge or, or whatever it is you're looking for.
1: Awesome. Awesome! All right, so it's that time. Let's go to some final thoughts. Uh, Scott, why don't you uh, finish out some final thoughts here for us on terrain and minis and uh, what you like about them, what you don't, what the listeners can glean from
2: that. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm much biased in favor of, of minis and, and terrain, uh, you know, I've got many, many years of experience of using it. I, I like it. I think it's useful. Um, but, you know, as I was saying a little while ago, um, it shouldn't be a chore. I mean, use it as much as it seems like it's helping and if it gets to the point where, it, you know, you, you, it's too much work, then cut back. Go do more of the theater of the mind. I mean, you know, the object is to have fun no matter how you're doing it and just take it from there. So if, if, it, if it feels good, go, go with it. And if, and if it doesn't, then, uh, you know, push it aside.
3: So I have to say it's really fantastic from being in games where you've used your materials. It takes away any issues with spatial awareness. It increases the immersion and... Then people who lose track of where people are or monsters are in the theater of the mind, all these questions are completely uh, right there in front of them. It helps the players. Honestly, in some respects, it does take a little longer to, to move everything out, but others it doesn't because you can see where everything is and you can start planning your moves in advance. So I actually I'm I'm a pre- you've converted me I'm a pretty fan big fan of this not just because you've made several characters for me this point which I absolutely love every last one of them yeah <laughs> like uh, my Rasmus figure my my Hawk figure, like really like they they deserve to be on a shelf like the trophies <laughs> yeah,
1: including our little tiny self three wise DM figure too right yeah awesome um yeah I uh, I have always been um. A big fan of something on the table i have always had the dry erase uh flip mat the from the pathfinder beginner box that i use uh that's just dry erase you can just draw on it so i'll make something whether it's that or back in the day you'd use graph paper if you have something uh somebody like scott in your uh in your games uh who are who wants to do it and loves doing it and wants to work with you and be part of that it absolutely adds to it what i would say with those types of terrain pieces though like why i contacted him for mount Caucasus and the amber temple was we had had such a huge campaign in curse of Strahd, and we had done a big thing the dinner with the devil where it was like the lead up to the the final confrontation with Strahd being the big bad guy when we were going to do the final final you know destruction of vampir Strahd's maker um I felt like it needed to be something big. And we had just done the Woodstock finale where we did something big in the underground temple. So it was big. So I wanted to make something memorable. That's why I reached out to him. So it's those times when you have a special game, there's something, a culmination of something that's happening and you want to you want to raise the stakes. That's a time, I think, to try to pull out some of this stuff, even if it's simple, like Scott was saying with. You know, your dungeon tiles and then maybe some uh, some of the board that you can just create some some building at or even something as simple as like Professor Dungeon Master using his universal dungeon terrain or universal dungeon tile, the UDT. Um, That's also an interesting uh, use of some things for terrain and minis and stuff. Anyway, um, I think it's great. I'm going to keep using this kind of stuff as long as I possibly can. But yeah, this is great. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Scott, again, thanks uh, for coming on. I'm sure we will probably talk to you again in the future uh, with
2: something. Um, My pleasure. I'd be happy to.
1: Yeah, we will see when that occurs. And uh, like we do, uh, we're going to let our uh, dear old erstwhile leader uh, take us out. So we will see you guys next time.
0: And thank you all at home for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you like what you heard, please give us the five-star rating in your podcast platform. And if you want to hear us answer one of your questions, this was our question. This is something we brought to the table, mm-hmm. but we often answer listener questions. So if you want to hear us listen uh, answer one of your questions, please send it in you can send it to our to our email address three dms at gmail.com you can go to our website three put it in the what's your problem field or talk to us on, on instagram facebook twitter active and all those places and we're always looking for new material for the next podcast we love helping you solve the problems yet this is a podcast for dungeon masters with problems that's what we're really here that's it for this week we'll see you next time three wise dms